Well, we're entering this week just into a couple week study in the book of John, the fourth gospel. So if you turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 will be in the first five verses this morning of this book. As we walk through this passage, we'll see that Jesus Christ is very God of very God. Now, these are not original words with me, and we'll see in a few moments where they come from. But if you would now, let's read from John's gospel, the first five verses. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. In the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We live in an age where it seems technologically that almost anything is possible. In fact, through technology, we can create worlds of imagination and conception that previous generations couldn't have even conceived. What took an entire room when computers were first being utilized is a fraction of the speed that you carry in your pocket or perhaps on your wrist this morning. The multiplication of energy and information is kind of mind-blowing if you step back and look what has happened in the last couple of decades. In fact, this power through technology gives us words like virtual reality or augmented reality, a world where we feel like we can almost create a separate reality from reality. And sometimes we wish we weren't living in reality, don't we? But we have the idea that we can create this world, and if you want, you can almost live in a virtual world rather than the real world, the world of real people. You ever seen this? A family over lunch ostensibly eating together, but they're not talking to each other. They're all looking at their devices. Or maybe you experience this even at Thanksgiving or as you look forward to Christmas. Everyone in the same room, but completely different places. In a world where it feels like we can create our own reality, where self-expression is this high value, we need more than we ever have before the self-expression, the revelation of God himself. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is how John closes the opening to his gospel. Verse 18, if you tracked all the way down to the end. These first 18 verses are what we call the prologue to his gospel. In other words, prologue before the word. They're the word before the word. They introduce everything else that's coming to us. Now, if you've walked with Christ for some time, you may know that John's gospel has a reputation for being the most beautifully evangelistic gospel. Because all four gospels reveal Jesus Christ to us. But no other gospel expresses Jesus is God as beautifully as John's gospel does. One philosopher wrote of these verses, these first words in this gospel, that they deserve to be written in letters of gold. They're so rich. You see, the book of John has been used over and over again to open eyes to who Jesus 
is. Now, Jesus passed away sometime around three decades into the ADs, around AD 33, we think. Some 300 years later, the church was still attempting to articulate in human words the mystery of the incarnation, what it means for God to become flesh. And in AD 325, a bunch of church leaders gathered at Nicaea. And there they hammered out, what does it mean for God to become a human being? And they came up with what we know as the Nicene Creed. It's lasted and been passed down. Churches rehearse it regularly today. A number of decades later, in 381 Constantinople, a couple of phrases were shaped and refined. But this Nicene Constantinople Creed has come down to us and articulated for us what it means for Jesus Christ to be God. These fathers said it this way, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God. In other words, if you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus Christ. And this morning as we walk through this passage together, we will see this central truth that because Jesus Christ is very God of very God, he is able to do more than we could ask or even imagine. In C.S. Lewis' classic series, The Chronicles of Narnia, the lion Aslan is a picture of Jesus Christ. The little girl Lucy meets Aslan, and then she's away from him for some years, and later in the book, Prince Caspian, she meets him again. And this time, after some time of separation, she sees him, and she says, Aslan, you're bigger. He said, that's because you are older. And she said, not because you are? He said, no, child. Every year you grow, I will seem bigger. And time spent in John's gospel is a time seeing Jesus who grows ever greater, ever more beautiful, ever larger in our estimation. In the opening of this book, we find John talking about the word, the logos. And these first five verses don't identify for us who he is, but verse 14, which we'll look at next week, does indeed identify The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, these 18 verses are setting the stage, building a foundation for everything that follows. And John beautifully introduces us to the God who has made God known. This God is Jesus Christ. And we're introduced to him in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is eternal God. In the beginning. Well, these words are no accident. They throw our minds back to the very beginning of our Bibles, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is establishing immediately for us the deity and supremacy of Jesus Christ. This phrase, in the beginning, indicates that before anything else existed, the Word did. 
Well, to understand this verse, we've got to understand a word that appears three times, namely the word, word. Logos is a Greek word that can take several pages to define. You probably don't own a Greek dictionary, but you could look up one online, and if you opened a Greek dictionary, you'd find yourself overwhelmed by the number of possible meanings this single word can take. It basically means communication by which the mind expresses itself. It's, it's, it's any communication that is revealed through the mind. So this logos is the expression, the revelation of the mind of God to humanity. In this case, this revelation is the personified revelation, the incarnated revelation, the self-expression of God himself. In an age where self-expression is the highest of virtues, the expression that we need is the self-revelation of God to humanity. But there's something surprising in this passage, because as beautifully written as it is, it is also redundant. Verse 2 seems pretty unnecessary at first glance. Listen to the first two phrases in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, okay, and the Word was with God. Now listen to verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. It's like, you just said that, John. Why'd you say that twice? Well, John, like Jesus, is being redundant to make a point. Beyond that, though, he's emphasizing a particular aspect of this logos. That he can be spoken of as fully God in his own right. Jesus Christ is God yet he is also distinct from God. Now look, we've been walking for several weeks through a series we called Hope from Hope in Discouragement. What we're doing today is a mental exercise. So be prepared to stretch your mind because you're going to try to understand something incomprehensible. Know the unknowable. Jesus Christ is fully God, yet also distinct from God. How can this be? One phrase isn't repeated. The phrase that says, the word was God. So while we can be completely accurate and say, the word is God, we can also be completely accurate and say, the word is with God. These things are distinct. In one sense, the word is identical with God. In another sense, he is distinguished from God. So how do we reconcile this? And here we enter into one of the bedrock foundational truths of our Christian faith. If you track back several thousand years and find yourself at the foot of the mountain with the people of Israel as God is giving his covenants, Deuteronomy chapter 6 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God, simple truth, one eternal God. And yet when we track this all the way through the Bible, we come to Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus commands his disciples, go therefore and make disciples among all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. God has existed eternally in this way. One God, three persons. You see, when Jesus Christ entered our world, 
He entered our world as one who has always been and who has always been God. Jesus, this logos, this word is God, but he is also with God. Because Jesus is God, and the Father is God, and the Spirit is God. And these three are one in every way except distinguished by their relationship to one another. I want you to do something with me for a moment. We're going to do a little mental exercise here. I want you to try to clear your mind of everything that you can. And think back in time as far as you can. Just imagine with me, begin thinking back. Keep pushing it back. 1800, 1700, 100 BC. Keep, keep pushing that. Just push that wall as far as you can and imagine back in time. But you see, no matter how far back you can possibly imagine, there is an edge to what you can imagine. Because we are finite beings. We cannot imagine an eternity without boundaries. Eternity is something we can hear about and think about and yet never, never truly grasp, never truly comprehend. But wherever the edge of that time is for you, whether it's at 2,000, 10,000, or 10 billion years, before that edge existed, Jesus Christ existed. He is eternal God. And because Jesus always has been, brothers and sisters, Jesus has seen everything. There's nothing that you encounter that he hasn't previously seen. We see only a fraction of what God is doing. But Jesus Christ has seen everything. The universe created, spoken into being from nothing. Jesus was there. Jesus did it. Moses standing hopeless before a body of water as Pharaoh and his chariots chase him down and parts the Red Sea. Jesus was there. David took his slingshot onto that battlefield. Five little stones he took and stroke, struck that giant Goliath. Jesus was there. We read these things. Jesus was there. Jesus is here. He sees it all. We see the edges of God's ways. But Jesus Christ is God. Before there was anything else, Jesus after all of this is gone, Jesus. Jesus Christ is the great reality in the universe. You can't shock or overwhelm or surprise Jesus because as bad or as shocking or as overwhelming as your life is, Jesus has already seen worse. There's no problem too big to take to this God. The most amazing thing you'll ever see. Jesus has seen better. Jesus has created better. Jesus has spoken better. You can trust that this God, this Jesus, has wisdom for whatever life throws at you because he's seen it all. There's nothing that you can experience that's too much for this God. Jesus is eternal God, and secondly, he is creator God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the full expression of God. And the first connection that John makes for us is that Jesus expresses himself through creation. The language here is pretty specific. It indicates for us that Jesus is the agent of creation. 
John makes this point twice. First, he states it positively. All things were made through him. And then he states it negatively. And without him was nothing made that was made. In other words, everything that exists, Jesus did it. There's a clear allusion to Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, Jesus, the creator, is a constant theme in the Bible. It appears here in John, but it appears also in Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 1 verse 2. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. For us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. At the end of all things, the song we will sing in Revelation chapter 4, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Jesus Christ is our creator. You think it's important to see this? It's like a rhythm that pounds over and over and over throughout the New Testament. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the one who made all things. Everything owes its existence to him. Now I told you we're going on a mental exercise this morning and we're about to do it too. We're going to push it out a little further here. Now we sit here this morning in the midst of this galaxy. Now it doesn't look like this. This is much bigger than this. This is what it looks like in a picture. We live in the Milky Way. Now our galaxy, the Milky Way, holds something like 100 billion stars. Now to this point, we discovered somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 billion galaxies in the universe. So 100 billion stars, and there are 100 billion galaxies. Now each of these stars averages something like two and a half planets. Albert Einstein, the great mind who proposed the theory of relativity, theorized that we can know one billionth of knowable space. Scientists today believe the universe is constantly growing, constantly expanding. This means that in the universe we can observe and have observed so far, there are 10 sextillion stars and counting. But if Einstein is right, there are something like 10 nonillion stars. And I'm throwing numbers that you don't know because we don't use them often. But let's try to put it this way for us this morning. How many stars might this be? Well, let's start with a number we can understand, 10,000. Now, it takes a long time to count to 10,000, but you can get there. Now, if we have 1,000, 10,000s, we have 10 million. 1,000 of those, and we have 10 billion. Quadrillion. Quintillion. Sextillion. Septillion, octillion, make sure I get this right. 1,000 octillions is a nonillion. 10 nonillion is a one with 31 zeros behind it. And Jesus created every single star. This also means that there's something like 25 nonillion planets, but let's not even go there. Jesus created an unimaginably huge universe. 
Why would God take the time and effort to create something that big? It's no mystery. God's word tells us he does this as a reflection of his glory. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above shows his handiwork. He didn't put this out there just to be studied in theory. He put it out there to reveal to us that there is a glorious creator in the universe. The one who spoke all things into being. Who took the time and thought to construct all this in a way that these planets aren't colliding. There's one who, Colossians 1 says, is sustaining all things by the word of his power. The same creative power that spoke all things into existence is today sustaining all things. Jesus Christ is an infinitely great God. It really is, like Aslan said, every year we grow, we find God bigger. You ever have this experience? You're walking through life and God arrests your attention. And you begin to see an aspect of God's character you've never seen before. You understand his love as you've never seen it before. You begin to see his grace in ways you've never imagined. You understand his greatness is far beyond your comprehension. Because you see, to one one view, one vista of God's character is to realize that there are infinite views. And to cross one threshold is to see another host of views of the beauty of our glorious God. But Jesus didn't create just an immense universe. He created an unbelievably intricate universe. Now the first ingredient in sand is silicon. You know that name probably from Silicon Valley. Now grains of sand vary in size, but you know in Charleston we're experts on sand because we have a lot of it. So if you took a medium-sized grain of sand in that single grain of sand you'd have 43 quintillion atoms in one grain of sand. In each atom of silicon, you have 14 protons, 14 neutrons, 14 electrons. And each protein and neutron is made up of three quarks. This means that when you pick up a single grain of sand, you are holding between your fingers at least one septillion particles of matter. 24 zeros. And there's no doubt that there will be more specific ways of measuring matter in the universe one day. And Colossians 1.17 tells us, He is before all things, and in Him all these things hold together. This is Jesus Christ. You see, the immensity of the universe reflects his greatness. And the intricate beauty of the universe reflects his imminent, close, loving nature. The infinitely vast God is the personally loving, knowing, caring God. He cares and knows the number of hairs on your head. Even you, Bill Moody. A vast transcendent being who is worthy to be worshipped is an intricate God who is approachable. We have a God who's unique. Not like any other God. 
in that he is infinitely grace and yet also personally close. And because Jesus made everything, Jesus owns everything. All that we are, all that we have is his. Now, we tend to view our stuff as our stuff. Our lives is our lives. Our careers is our careers. Our kids is our kids. Our cars is our cars. But Jesus' ownership is true for everybody because he is our creator. But brothers and sisters, it's doubly true for those who know God through faith in Christ. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. You see, we are here, we are God's by creation, and we are Christ's by redemption. Your life is not your own. He bought it with his blood. We have got to allow the word of God to transform our thinking to transform our affections, to transform our living, the way we think about our stuff. Our money, God's. Our kids, God's. Our careers, God's. Our lives are his. Don't tell me what to do with my body. Our bodies God's. You see, the logos, this word, is the agent of creation. And there is no sense in which anything can exist apart from him. This means he owns everything because he is the source, the one who spoke all things into existence. You walk out this room and you see kids coloring on paper. Why is that paper their paper? Because they made it. And in a far greater way, Jesus Christ made us. We owe him our allegiance. We owe him our obedience. He is the rightful king, the rightful judge who owns the universe because he spoke all things into existence. Oh, friend, if you are here imagining that you ought to be king, would you turn from your sin, from your self-justification, from your self-righteousness, from your attempt to rule your own life because one day, If it's not today, one day every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you bow to him as your redeemer today so you don't meet him as your judge on that day? Jesus Christ is the eternal God. He is the creator God. Thirdly, he is the life-giving God. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, life and light, they aren't just unique to Christianity. They're universal symbols for spirituality. I mean, all religions talk about seeking life, seeking light. I mean, throughout the ages, this is what people are seeking, life, light, illumination. And John says, Jesus is the light you're seeking. The Logos gave birth to the universe. He is the source of life. Genesis 1, what is God's first creative act? To create light. You see, apart from life, light, we can't have life. 
Jesus, the source of all life. This is true both physically and spiritually. John chapter 8, Jesus says he is the light of the world. He's talking about the light for salvation. But in John 1, he's saying he's the light of creation. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the source of creative life and light, and I am the source of saving life and light. You can't separate one from the other. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 uses creation language to talk about our life in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? A new creation. There's a sense in which we can say that life was in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was manifested so beautifully that this life was manifested as light for mankind. When Adam and Eve sinned, death entered the world. And through them passed to all people. But the God who gave life to all creation gives life to his dead and fallen creatures through Jesus. The salvation and new creation of a believer and then of a community of believers known as a church is a picture of the coming new creation when all things will be made new. Remember how we said we wish we could create a different reality. Jesus is going to really change this reality. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Jesus Christ, the true light, shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not and will not overcome this light. Darkness is the absence of light. And in John's world, it also represents evil. John 12, verse 35 Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. But darkness does not overtake the light. The word overcome, darkness has not overcome it, is a word of powerful force. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus comes upon a demon-possessed boy. And as the father is declaring to Jesus what this boy suffers with, he says that this demon often seizes him and throws him into the fire. This word seizes is the same word, darkness seizing. It cannot seize, it cannot overcome Jesus the way that demon could overcome that little boy. Jesus the light is so powerful that no powerful assault, no power can overcome him. It's true of Jesus as creator and it's true of Jesus as our savior. Now, these first five verses we've been looking at talk about Jesus, the creator, but verses 9 through 13 tell us that Jesus is the life-giving Savior. The true light, the one who gives light to everyone, came into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to as many as did receive him, he gave the power to become the children of God. And those children are born, not of flesh or of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, every time Jesus saves a soul, he's continuing his creative 
work. He's making a new creation. Now, the great tragedy of our sinfulness is that we can see Jesus and yet reject him. But to those who do receive him, he makes the children of God and calls them his brothers and sisters. You see, because Jesus is the one who gives life and light, Jesus can do anything. Another way of seeing this is there's nothing Jesus can't do. Life throws really big problems at us. Job, sometimes it's more of a headache than a help. Longings for kids, unfulfilled. Praying for friendship, still lonely. Financial needs that are too great. Yet, brothers and sisters, no matter how big your problem is, and your problem could be a lot bigger than any of these that we've listed, Jesus is still greater. Jesus is greater than your problem. You see, the key to a thriving, fruitful Christian life is a vital connection to Jesus, the creator, the life giver, the savior. It doesn't feel possible. I mean, how could it be possible to go through the agony of a broken marriage, to see all of that crash and burn, and life really is worse than you ever could have imagined, and walk through life with hope. But in Christ, it is. How could it be possible to go through decades of life, you have all these hopes what you imagine life will be, and now you're here living by yourself, estranged from your children. The relationships you long for and hope for are broken. How can you walk with life, walk through life with joy in the midst of that brokenness? But in Christ, you can. You imagine, you long for, you picture, you hope for a life. And no matter how realistic you keep your expectations, I promise you this, life can and life at some point will disappoint you. But Jesus Christ never will. The light has come and shined in the darkness. And the darkness has not, cannot, indeed never will overcome it. Jesus Christ is the eternal, creating, life-giving God, very God of very God. Do you know Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? Have you submitted your life to him as your creator? Turn to him as your savior. If you're God's child, do you know what it is to rest in Jesus Christ as the full expression, the self-revelation of God? Let's take a moment now and respond to God's word. We'll respond in repentance and faith first privately, and then I'll close this in prayer. Let's talk to God.